Hello and welcome to this week's edition of SBC This Week, a roundup of news and views from around the Southern Baptist Convention. SBC This Week is hosted by Amy Whitfield and Jonathan Howe. Hey, Jonathan. How's it going? Uh, I think we're setting a new record this morning, Amy. Uh, how early is it where you are? 5 a.m. Yeah. So it was very kind of you to do a super early recording because I am headed out of town for a, a drama competition, not for me, but for, uh, for like you win. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I see what you did there. Not cool. Not cool. At least that's what Keith said. No, no I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Yeah. So there's a, a, a high school drama competition and it's a few hours away here in North Carolina. So I'm headed there on the road. And so you were kind enough to let me do a 7 a.m. recording where I am. But you have gone on the road to the Utah-Idaho annual meeting, which means you're over there. You're in Idaho for this. Yeah, got in late, so, too. Well, yeah, so well, well done. I, I appreciate your sacrifice. Well, thank you. Uh, yeah. I don't know if the people in room 424 will appreciate the sacrifice as much. but Well, maybe it, they're no. interested in SBC <laughs> happenings. And they Hopefully, can. these walls are thick. Yeah. So. I don't. I don't think there's too many people here in Boise right now um, at the the Hilton Garden Inn right by the airport, but we'll see. All right. Well, it, it is good though to be here in Utah, Idaho. I will say that I, I love coming out here. I'm a big fan of uh, all that's going on out here. I'm friends with the uh, the president Brian Catherman have been for years, and uh, he is the president here and pastor of Redeeming Life down in Salt Lake City. My son's been out on mission trips with him and his team here, and. A couple times, and it, it's just a—it's really good to be out here and and to be with those pastors, kind of out here in the West that are uh, really kind of on the front lines um, for the gospel out here and the gospel advance. So, always exciting to be out with pastors, and and glad to be out here in Utah. Was in Indiana earlier this week. We'll talk a little bit about that later in the show. Very cool. All right. All right. Well, before we get into today's show, we do want to thank our sponsor. The ministry landscape is changing faster than ever, and ministers of every calling need versatile training for today's church and marketplace. And so, in partnership with Dallas Baptist University, Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary is now enrolling students in their new MDiv MBA program. With a biblically faithful foundation, hands-on ministry experience, and contemporary business training, this is a program for tomorrow's pastors, missionaries, entrepreneurs, and lay leaders. To learn more, visit swbts.edu slash mdivmba. That's all uh, kind of one word there, M-D-I-V-M-B-A. So uh, that's uh, something we've talked about a couple times here on the podcast, the, the MDiv and MBA program in conjunction with Dallas Baptist University over at Southwestern Seminary. So uh, exciting thing over there. Very cool. Got a couple of our friends from Southwestern, Ed Upton and George Schroeder, are here in town as well. So I'll, I'll hook up with them later this morning at uh, the Utah-Idaho convention. Get to see them and hang out for a little bit before I head back to get back to Nashville. That's awesome. Well, I got I got something to, to talk about about George Schroeder in a little bit. So, uh-oh, uh-oh. Uh, But I'll save that. I'll save that. Just kind of put a little tease out there. I see the year. I think I know where this is going. All right. Well, hey, let's jump into it this week. The executive committee met on Thursday. Uh, that's kind of why I was getting in late because I had to be back in the office for this meeting in Nashville, but uh, the executive committee met virtually on Thursday to address and address legal audit and personnel issues uh, in their time together. Yeah, so that happened as you said, we're recording early Friday morning. So that happened yesterday. The meeting was held in executive session, which means 
no one got to to see it and that includes me so i we we didn't really see everything that they discussed but a statement did come out about it now let's at least address one thing the meeting being held in executive session that is the norm for particularly when there are personnel matters or audit matters that's the norm not just for the executive committee for any of our boards so I know there's been a lot of discussion about that over the last uh, several months, but this was a pretty standard boilerplate executive session type meeting. Um, but a statement did come out from that. Jonathan, if you want to kind of uh, recap that a little bit. Sure. So Roland Slade, the chairman of the committee, released a statement at the end, uh, basically covering a little bit. Do you thank Dr. Floyd for his service to the EC? Also announced that James Freeman has submitted his resignation. That means I think 15 Southern Baptist leaders have resigned from the executive committee. Uh, the latest two being James Freeman and Rod Martin. So that's 15 since the September meetings and uh, 16 total. So we're down to 70 members now uh, with uh, the Medina Henderson who, who had resigned because of her uh, relocation back right. in July. So, so anyway, we're down to 70 total members on the executive committee. Still plenty. I mean, somebody asked yesterday, uh, you know, is that enough to have, like, at what point does the the board become impaired? And and really, it's it, it doesn't um, at this right. point. So it, it would take a significant number of more resignations to, to right. get to that point. So here's something interesting that is, uh, according to the EC bylaws and the charter, the minimum, we're talking legally able to do business the minimum number is three so in terms of like legally able to stay and do what needs to be done we're fine we're not anywhere close now i think we can all agree that the amount of responsibility is pretty pretty large that you don't want it to be just three people so your question is more of a what is reasonable you know, when do we, you know, get concerned and 70, I mean, there's still, I mean, sometimes you'll have meetings where only 70 are able to make it just yeah. because of schedule travel, people getting sick, whatever. So it's, it's very manageable, but just to, to know that the threshold there is. Yeah. Yeah. Amy, that happens from time to time where you just have people miss meetings or can't make it, especially some of these zoom calls or things like that. You know, the in-person meetings typically have a little bit better attendance rate because people, they have those on their calendar and it's not something that just, you know, it has to be called. So we'll, we'll see how things go moving forward. I, I don't know if we'll have too many more resignations at this point. Uh, that's speculation, obviously. Um, I don't really know of anybody who's thinking about resigning so as well. So, it, you know, we'll just have to wait and see. But because of the resignations, Amy, we have had some officers who have resigned, uh, being Rob Showers, Robin Hari, uh, those two in particular, those openings were created on the Convention Finances and Stewardship Committee, as well as the Convention Missions and Ministry Committee. That means those two committees needed a chair. And Archie Mason and Andrew Hunt will now chair those two committees, respectively. Uh, Archie That's Mason, right. a pastor in Arkansas, Andrew Hunt, a pastor in Indianapolis. So Archie Mason and Andrew Hunt will serve until June when they um, will be eligible for reelection if the yeah. committee chooses to do that. Yeah. So, you know, elections are done in June for those again. So, all right. And then also they announced uh, that legal representation with Gunther Jordan and Price. They remember whenever they resigned as the convention and EC council just a few weeks ago, I think it was October the 11th. They also presented a limited scope arrangement and that has been approved 
uh, for them to kind of help out with the bylaw issues, things like that during the search for the new legal counsel. So if there's some, something comes up polity wise, bylaw wise, like normal, uh, you know, the, the weird questions that we have sometimes that, you know, right. we, we kind of wonder about, phone. we can pick up the phone and, and make the call. So that, that, that's a, a good, so we've got somebody to help out with that as needed until a new council is secured. And then also a national law firm, Bradley, uh, has been secured by the executive committee to assist in the legal aspects related to the ongoing independent third party investigation by Guidepost Solutions. So it's, that's just a group to come alongside to help manage and to help provide the information to Guidepost as well as the Committee on Cooperation and the Sex Abuse Task Force uh, and, and help with that. So just somebody to come along and, and because Gunther Jordan and Price won't be able to assist in that matter. You've got Bradley, the law firm over here, that's going to be helping with that. All right. So it's just kind of the updates there from Roland Slade. I really appreciate his leadership in this season. I know uh, not something he probably thought he was getting into whenever he came on as chairman back in 2020. So, Amy, we've we've covered the EC side of the Sex Abuse Task Force information right there. But we also have some in states that were passed this week, as well as a couple that did not. That's right. So one thing that we always notice every fall is patterns or trends that sort of pop up across state annual meetings, things that aren't necessarily in all 41, but that we do at least see in multiple states. And one has been a series of motions to create state-level sex abuse task forces. And so four different state conventions considered that this week. Uh, Two of them passed and two of them failed. So the ones that passed were in Arkansas and California, and then the ones that failed were in Mississippi and Missouri. So they, they all were a little bit different and they took different pathways. So I think the one in Arkansas came forward and it like just got unanimously approved, immediately moved forward. State, the state Archie exec, Mason actually, Tucker, uh, talking a lot about that too. Yeah. And um, the state exec, Sonny Tucker responded immediately, you know, cooperating with, with all of that. Then in California, the initial motion, which I don't have in front of me, but the initial motion was ruled out of order. And so there was a move to overturn that, that failed. So then another, they had about an hour long discussion and another motion is what ended up passing in Mississippi and Missouri. Those were calling for the state convention presidents to appoint task forces. Those failed. Now, all of these, you know, there were some similarities across, but what they were really calling for not was not necessarily independent investigations, but calling for task forces to be developed within these state conventions to just look at how things have been handled in their state and to, to kind of consider this. What it's telling us is that Folks are very interested in this as we have had this ongoing conversation over the last three, four years, even um, for various reasons. People are starting to ask, how are we handling this issue? And they're and asking how can we it, handle it better. Right. And how can we handle it better? And how can we handle it at every level? And I know there's a lot of discussions about, well, is this getting into autonomy, local churches, things one of the things that I've tried to to talk about before is how in order to address this because of our autonomous system, it really requires everyone to say, what is my part in this process? Uh, we can't get you know involved in another in, institution's 
part, but we can say, what is in this lane? What are we doing to, to handle this issue appropriately? So that doesn't get into what the, what local churches are doing. Local churches have to, have to do that. That doesn't get into what associations are doing. Associations have to do that. This is really how state conventions have responded to any complaints, reports, things like that. And so you got folks who are coming as messengers that want to say, we want to know, we want to examine this, we want to learn, we want to to improve. And uh, so it'll be interesting, you know, kind of two for four there uh, for various reasons, but it will be interesting to see if this may pop up in more state conventions, because we got several annual meetings coming. Yeah, a lot of them coming, especially across the South over the next couple of weeks. And speaking of those state annual meetings, Amy, we've got a report from a few of them. We start in Indiana, where I was earlier this week. Yes. So in Indiana, they met in Martinsville and had their new executive director, Ryan Struther. He had been on the job less than two weeks. So had dinner with him Sunday night. Excellent. So just jump right in. Um, they, it sounds like they had a great, uh, a, a great time. They had 124 messengers plus 39 guests, 38 and me. Oh, there you go. You were one of those guests. Yeah. So they, they passed a budget of 3,685,153. That was up about 150,000 from last year. And 36% goes on to national and international SBC missions and ministry. They elected Josh Getfrick from Hilltop Community Church in Warsaw. He was elected president. Jonathan LaFleur from First Southern Baptist Church in Terre Haute was elected first vice president. Steve Davidson, pastor of First Baptist Church in Sellersburg, was second vice president. And Steve Taylor, not the CCM singer from years ago. You don't know that, Amy. You don't know that. uh, But uh, I don't think so. He lives in Nashville and is not a Southern Baptist, but... Uh, pastor right, of Northeast, yeah, pastor of Northeast Park Baptist Church in Evansville. He was elected recording secretary. So, uh, sounds like they had a good time together, and uh, we'll come back together next year. Yeah, it's kind so. of a rainy, dreary fall day on Monday. Whenever we met, oh man, there. so oh man, but it turned out well. good. It was good. I got to see uh, some friends of ours from Southeastern, and uh, it was just That's it right. was nice to to be able to see our, our friends up in Indiana as well. So. Um, got to talk to a few pastors up there while I was there and catch up with uh, their WMU uh, liaison, uh, Allison Kenyon, uh, who I'd known for about a decade. So uh, that was just, it was fun to be there. So there on go. to Minnesota, Wisconsin, up in uh, Leo Indel country, Amy. Not to be confused with Indel with Lee. Lee. That's true. 67 messengers and about 75 guests came from 47 of the two state conventions, 180 churches. And uh, approved a new Vision 2025 statement for the state convention, as well as a budget of just under a million dollars. It's down about 5% from 2020, uh, just a little over $968,000. But this is the first budget fully funded exclusively by the Churches of Minnesota Wisconsin Baptist Convention. Just kind of like what we saw uh, in, in the Dakotas just a few weeks ago when we talked about that. 36% will be passed on to national and international cooperative program use and their elections. Bob Stein was elected the president. He's a pastor at Midvale Baptist Church in Madison, Wisconsin. Jonathan Woodyard, member of Northfield Community Church, was elected first vice president. And we got a lay member as the first vice president, Amy. 
There we go. Nice. All right. Uh, Daniel Goba, pastor of Ebenezer Community Church in Bloomington, Minnesota, was elected second vice president. And the messengers passed two resolutions, one to Ebenezer Community for their hospitality and one for Leo and Dell's leadership in, quote, these challenging days. So they also adopted a third resolution of commitment to pray for the salvation of 5.6 million people in Minnesota and the 5.9 million people in Wisconsin. So uh, a good meeting up there in Wisconsin. They also celebrated at 41 churches have been planted over the last three years in Minnesota, Wisconsin. That is amazing. Their goal was 30. They've planted 41 over the last three years. Very cool. On to Kansas, Nebraska, Amy. Yes, they met in Salina, Kansas, uh, October 11th and 12th. They got 228 registered messengers and 40 visitors. Keynote speaker was great crowd. Yeah. Keynote speaker was Hans Dilbeck, newly at Guidestone. The uh, budget that was approved was $4,323,660, which is an increase of 9.24% above the last budget. So that's really great. They also increased their national CP giving by one half percentage point to 30.5%. They also had a presentation on the 75th anniversary of the Kansas-Nebraska conventions. That's really exciting. They had current and past executive directors on like a during the opening session. They've only had five executive directors in their 75-year history, so they had some, some folks there. New officers elected were President Doyle Pryor from First Southern Baptist Church in Topeka, Kansas, and Vice President David Gibbs, pastor of First Baptist Church, Tawanda, Kansas, and then other officers were reelected by acclamation. Recording secretary was Brian Jones from Tyler Road Southern Baptist Church in Topeka, Kansas. Assistant recording secretary Susan Peterson from Prairie Hills Southern Baptist Church in Augusta, Kansas. And historian Tony Madia from Trinity Baptist Church in Wamego, Kansas. So you got in the Kansas Nebraska Convention, a lot of Kansas, you know, con- contingent there. Uh, on the officers, but it sounds like they had a, a great time, lots to celebrate. It, I'm sure it's been good for these state conventions to come back together. A lot of them not able to meet last year. So that's really special too. Yeah. They also voted to replace their current constitution and bylaws with a new constitution and bylaws. So a uh, new constitution and bylaws there in Kansas, Nebraska. Very cool. Over to Nevada where Damian Serencioni, the new executive director uh, led for the first time. So, you know, he just came into the role just a few months ago. And uh, so they had 124 messengers from 49 of the 183 churches uh, present and passed a $1.329 million budget, uh, committing to send, again, 50% on to cooperative program giving for national and international missions. So a 50% state out there in Nevada. They've been that way for quite a few years. Uh, it's $132,000 more than last year with $1.1 million coming from Nevada churches. So five or 550000 will move on to the cooperative program. Uh, they also approved a constitution bylaw change, creating an executive committee consisting of the chairman of the three standing committees to work with the executive director between business sessions. So they kind of found this out whenever they had uh, the, the interim season. When they didn't have an executive right. director, when Kevin White left before Damien got there, so they they kind of noticed some some gaps in the communication. So they they created this, and also Tim Royal, pastor of the Bridge Church in Spring Creek, Nevada, was elected president. Steve Witt, 
pastor of the Well Church in Henderson, was elected vice president. And that's going to do it for our recaps of state conventions this week. Amy, we have an update from Liberty University over in Lynchburg, Virginia. Yeah, so we've covered this case uh, a, a little bit, that a number of things sort of coming to the surface since Jerry Falwell left as president, and most recently a, a lawsuit that that had come out with several people uh, alleging that the school mishandled cases of sexual abuse and sexual assault. Well, there's a new one. So a former spokesperson for Liberty University, Scott Lamb, he was a vice president level executive Um, at the school, he is suing Liberty after being fired, saying that his termination came in retaliation for voicing concerns that sexual misconduct accusations were mishandled. So he's saying that in the process of all of these, these things that he has, uh, has, has said that he's concerned about mishandling and that he lost his job as a result of that. That's what he is alleging in the lawsuit. Yeah, Amy, I'd heard this was coming, and and wow, here it is. So the the lawsuit is kind of a whistleblower lawsuit. So, you know, kind of I blew the whistle on this and was fired as a result. So uh, all the information from this is in the show notes. Uh, There's a link with a lot more information. Uh, Just to be clear, though, Liberty University Council David Corey said in a statement that they are categorically denying the claims uh, from Scott Lamb. So Liberty is denying this. But at the same time, uh, there's a lot of information here that if you're interested in that, you can go, uh, you can kind of read the entire lawsuit from Scott Lamb and, and just kind of keep up on that. So I think it's fair, Amy, to say that we are, it's far from over, uh, the Liberty University, the lawsuits and everything with this, because, uh, we, we've been kind of going back and forth with this for kind of a while. You know, I don't see this ending anytime soon. So we'll just no. kind of keep an eye on this story. And if anything else happens, we'll bring you some updates here on the podcast. Finally, before we get to the history moment, I want to congratulate good friend of the pod, Daniel Darling, on being named the director of the Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary's Land Center for Cultural Engagement. Big announcement. Very exciting for Dan. He also will serve under presidential appointment as an assistant professor of faith and culture at Texas Baptist College. So he uh, is going to get to do some teaching and then uh, be a center director. The, the centers at our seminaries do a lot of great work. They do uh, resource production for beyond uh, for the for the the students on campus, but really beyond that. So Dan Darling, like you said, good friend of the pod. He served as vice president for communications at the ERLC, and then most recently was senior vice president for communications at National Religious Broadcasters. And uh, so this is very exciting. The Land Center has been around since two thousand seven. And it focuses on the study and research of ethics, public policy, and cultural and philosophical issues. So very exciting. I am, uh, you know, maybe one of uh, something that they do soon will pop up as one of our resources of the week. So we'll be looking to see what the Land Center has going on. Yeah. So congrats to Dan. I know they're kind of in the process of getting everything squared away. I think he's going to kind of commute back and forth until the kids finish the school year. Uh, I talked to him the other day. We're going to try to connect and have breakfast or lunch or something before he leaves. So uh, he's been a good friend of mine for almost 15 years now. So uh, congrats to him and congrats to Southwestern. That's going to do it for our news and bring us to my favorite part of the week this week in SBC history. Amy, blow our minds. All right. We're going to go back to 1951 where we had a big entity head announcement. Oh, I bet I know which one it was. I bet you do. Brotherhood Uh, Commission. There you go. I hinted at the beginning of the show 
that I would be mentioning someone. So in the October 30th, 1951 issue of Baptist Press, it announced that George Schroeder had been elected executive secretary of the Southern Baptist Brotherhood Commission. So um, very exciting. They had just had the annual meeting in Memphis of the Brotherhood Commission. Lawson Cook had resigned. And uh, and so with and that was to be effective January 1st, 1952. And so they had uh, just elected George Schroeder. He was the associate secretary at the time. So I did say we'd be talking about George Schroeder. It is a different George Schroeder, the grandfather of our friend. Yes. So very exciting, really great uh, family, you know, and, and George's dad yeah. uh, was involved in, in Baptist life serving. Mm-hmm. Uh, Resolutions in, chairman. In, Is that right? I thought it was committee on committees. Maybe I, I can't remember. It was something because George posted a video a few weeks yeah. ago of him presenting. And then the just this 80s. week. He, yeah. And just, uh, just this week, he posted a picture of himself with his dad on Twitter where he had gotten to, to visit with him. So yeah, he was the at the Schroders, Arkansas convention. Yeah. So the Schroeders have uh, three generations of George Schroeders really contributing to Baptist life. But when I saw this, I had to do it. So 60 years ago, this week in SBC history, George Schroeder was announced. So very exciting. Congratulations yeah, that's cool. to That's awesome. Him. Yeah. Yep. And he, he's uh, the elder George has written some books on the Brotherhood Commission and like, yeah, he was like the guy at the Brotherhood Commission for a long time. So, oh, yeah. Um, I mean, you know, 20, 25 years, I think he was uh, the executive secretary of the Brotherhood Commission. So uh, it kind of through its heyday, so to speak, uh, back in the 50s, 60s and 70s when the Brotherhood Commission was really clicking. So um, and now, you know, part of NAM. So many of you may not know that the Brother Commission, uh, part of the the reorganization in 1997, uh, for the, the Covenant for a New covenant Century. For a century, yeah. So got looped into Nam with the Radio and Television Film Commission and a couple others. So yeah. All right. Well, very cool. And congratulations to uh, you know 60 years belated. Congratulations to George Schroeder for being named the executive secretary at the brotherhood commission so very cool all right that's going to bring us to our resources of the week amy your resource of the week is mine uh it's actually two podcasts i want to talk about one is uh and and i'm not trying to this is not about me but the women in work Uh podcast i got to be on that this this week i've heard that i got mentioned you did you did but i can't remember what all i said so you know I got to participate in it, but that's not why I'm I'm uh, promoting it. I want to just promote it because I had such a great time talking with Missy Branch and Courtney Moore. They do a fantastic job. They interview a different person each week. So I want to put that out there. And then I want to put out there a new podcast that has popped up just for the season that has some of our friends on it. And I might be about to guest to, to be a guest on that podcast coming up. So this is a, uh, this is a new podcast from our friend, Lydia McMillan. Oh, the hold on podcast. No, 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 no. So she does do the whole, yeah, she does do the hold on podcast and it does very well, but it's a new podcast called there's no place like Hallmark for the holidays. Oh, I bet you can guess what it's about. Hallmark movies. 
Yes. All right. And the first episode dropped and her guests were Lizette Dillinger and Amy Thompson. Oh my word. I got to go check this out. And Lizette also, and Amy. Also, I need to get Lydia in touch with Courtney Watson. Um, uh, yeah. You know, Courtney, the, the, she's written some stuff. She's a friend of mine from my church in yes. my Sunday school class. And she is like a Hallmark movie fanatic. Well, this is, so here's the thing. Lydia is also a fanatic, but Amy and Lizette. Oh my word. I got to listen to had this. Had never seen a Hallmark Christmas movie before this first episode. And so Lydia assigned them a movie to watch. And then they all discussed it. So I'm going to be on an episode coming up soon. And uh, and Lizette and Amy will be on that one too. And it's, it's really, it's, it's a good, it's very funny. So and anyway, it's, it's really worth listening to. Obviously it's a seasonal podcast. It's only going to be for, for so long, you know, through the holidays, but we got a lot, we got a lot of weeks. So Anyway, check it out. There's no place like Hallmark for the holidays and the Women at Work podcast. Now you're going to get me riled up about the Dollywood movie that um, Danica McKellar was in a couple of years ago. And how well, you have to see if I, if they'll cover I'm that get one. Fired up. I can't even talk about it. Because maybe, I'll get maybe, fired up about it. maybe Lydia will have you on the podcast to talk about it. Maybe. So we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Okay. All right. Very cool. Well. I, I've got to go listen to that. If those two are involved in that, that's going to be worth the listen. So, um, a, as well as you, Amy, but especially Amy and Lizette. So that'll be fun. All right. My resource of the week is a new pastor's prayer toolkit that was released just this week uh, in conjunction with uh, Thrive, which is a group that the ECS partnered with to present a pastor's prayer toolkit. It uh, gives you stories, resources, and technologies to equip you in elevating prayer in your local context. So helps you get your church engaged with prayer. So uh, there's an information thing over at prayertoolkit.com. You can go over there, download the information, and uh, kind of get started with that. And it explains the whole thing and walks you through the entire process and what uh, the purpose is and how you can elevate the ministry of prayer in your local church. Uh, so you can go and check that out. Uh, it's a really, really good tool from our friends over at Thrive. I've been using that and working with them for quite a while. But uh, I, I would highly recommend checking that out for your local church if you want to get like elevate prayer and do more with prayer in your local church. So uh, do check that out. Pastors Prayer Toolkit over at prayertoolkit.com. So prayertoolkit.com. And that's my resource of the week. All right. All right, Amy. So that's going to do it for the show this week. And, uh, you know, we, we set a new record for earliest show recorded, but I still think it was a good show. Yep. If Lots I, if I do say so myself. So, all right. Well, Amy, I'll see you next week. See you next week. I'm going back to bed. <laughs> <laughs>